KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor. Our Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton. Whoa, whoa. And Todd Lizenby with you this week. Man, what a good couple of weeks it's been. We've uh, we've had some good guests. We've covered a lot of good topics. Um we didn't touch on this at all, Todd, previously. I think we should for a bit this week. You just got back from the mountains. Unfortunately, yeah. I did, <laughs> Unfortunately, I did come you're back. back. Yeah, yeah, I did come back. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, common feeling of feeling misfortunate to have to return. Oklahoma's not a bad place to have to return to. Yeah, I don't, you two are killing me lately <laughs> on like the bashing of the red dirt, man. Like, uh, I love it here. I do, Absolutely. too. I, I don't. You can be honest, Look, Todd. I'm sure people that live, there's a, there's, I call it the money shot. There's this curve you go around from where my parents live and you kind of ride near Estes Park and you see for the first time, like the view of everything. Yeah. Is it right there where the big sign is that says Estes Park? Well, there, so there's, yeah, that's the Coming money shot from the, from the south, yeah. from the north. They live in Glenhaven. Oh, which, yeah. So you kind of split at that turn and you go around the other side of Estes Park and there's another similar, you come around the corner and it's just like, it's hard to not believe in a higher power when you yeah. see that stuff. But, oh, for sure. But um, I I was talking to my girlfriend about this. I I would imagine people that live there take it for granted yeah. what they have around them. And I'm sure I do the same with Oklahoma. And if I did leave here for a long extended period of time, I wouldn't want to come home. Or I would love coming home, you know, and seeing everything and being back where I came from. But at the same time, work is here yeah. <laughs> and responsibilities are here. And that was nothing but uh, just relaxation. And really, when you're on those trips, you have a chance to appreciate how beautiful it is. And it's just as beautiful as I remembered it as a kid. You hear about this a lot of times from people that live at the beach, right? When's the last time you went to the beach? Oh, man, we haven't been to the beach in months. But we want to know that we could. We we know that it's there. We like knowing we live at the beach and we pay for that opportunity. But we never go to the beach, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of similar in Colorado. I think they're... Um, it's a little bit more ingrained in everybody's lifestyle. There's just so many people there now today, for starters. Um, but, man, I, I grew up in Colorado. I lived in Colorado for five years before we moved to Oklahoma as an adult. Um, there is such an immense pressure when you're there to take advantage of the opportunities. Like I remember we'd get just maybe a day off every couple of weeks, and really you just want to lay on the couch and be lazy and it's like, oh, but we we live in Colorado. We got to go snowshoeing. We got to go skiing. The, yeah, I think that was the cool part about being a guide and only living there seasonally. Sure, like I was paid to 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 engage. Right, that like, was your job. Yeah, it yeah. was my job. You right? didn't so feel like, guilty sleeping on a day off because 
Well, and you've been I didn't doing it. Do it on anyways. the work days, you were correct. But yeah, yeah but yeah. even on guide day off, right? Like I wasn't sitting around. Mm. It was like all my other guide buddies who were also off that day. We would go have a guide fishing day, right? Where there was no pressure and we could just enjoy. Cause the reality is we hadn't had a fly rod in our hands in like 14 days, probably, you know, it had <laughs> at least. And it was like, Oh cool, man. Like, yeah, we actually get to fish. So it was like, we go to the spots we wouldn't take clients. Right. It's, just, it's like, it's just like in my line of work, I love going to sporting events just as a fan. Right. Just to sit and watch the game as a fan, even if it's bad seats. Like I appreciate that because it's just a different vibe. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to going to work and talking about sports, which is not yeah. a tough gig, right? But still, even I, on my off days, I find myself watching or wanting to go to sporting events. Yep. I contemplated bringing a camera on on Saturday. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'll throw my long lens on, like, and you know, do the thing. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm not. Like, I'm going to the game with my wife and kids. Like, I'm just gonna. Hang out with my wife and kids. And Josh not... came to Norman to the softball game Saturday. Uh, you missed. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, you saw a terrible game. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> golly, I mean, just... one for the absolute yeah. record books. I will. I do want to say that there was a there was a fan incognito wearing OU gear who was actually a Clemson fan, and they were sitting in front of me, and the, it, I, I felt it very uh, disrespectful to to wear the like why right like what's the point. You're clearly a Clemson fan. You're very, very loud about the fact you're a Clemson fan. Take the OU shirt off, please. And uh, when the uh, bottom of the seventh, two outs, two strikes, Homer happened, and she's just sitting next Spoiler to us. Spoiler alert, I recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the statue of limitation is Yeah, past, dude, yeah. come on now. Uh I tapped on her shirt. I tapped on her shoulder, and she turned around and looked at me. And I said, "Man, that shirt sure looks good on you, ma'am." <laughs> like, get out of here with that jazz. Do you think it came from a place of I don't want to get my butt kicked? I better. No, her friend made her. Okay, is what uh, she said. Gotcha. Is that her friend was an OU fan and took her to the game and yeah. was like, "You can come, but you have to wear an OU shirt or something." Supposedly. Which at that point, I would say you can come and you wear whatever you want. Just shut up. Yeah, I would right? say like, don't cheer for the other team. That's even right. more annoying than wearing the other team. That's what gear. I'm saying. I would say rock your stuff. Yeah, be a proud fan, own it, mm. and whatever may come from that is on you. <laughs> I like, think Oklahoma by nature has a very accepting fan base too. I can would tell you, you agree? As yes, so, yeah. I would tell you as someone who spent a lot of time at Florida Gator games. Yes, and OU games. Way friendlier here. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> way, sure. way friendly. I mean, well, you wouldn't go to Baton Rouge and do something like that. Not if you wanted to walk home <laughs> unhurt, you know? I think in general, softball fans are pretty welcoming. Yeah. Like, I, I think, think that it goes is a friendly across. environment. I think it's the same in yeah. Stillwater. I can it's tell you same. that's not the case in Baton Rouge. My wife pitched in Baton Rouge. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, in Baton Rouge, I don't think they like uh, anyone sports-related from another team. Like, yeah. I think if they were playing – I think if Bat if – if they were playing like some, uh, you know, like disabled veterans team, they would boo against them in Baton Rouge. <laughs> That's how they operate there. God, I can't stand that place. I think honestly, I think honestly, getting booed in Baton Rouge is kind of like a badge of honor. Sure. Right? If you I don't mean, get booed, you got beat up too hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. felt bad for you. Yeah. yeah. They felt yeah, bad yeah. for you if you don't get they booed. They thought, oh, these poor suckers. No. But anyways, 
I hear what you're saying about, you know, just trying to show up and, and just be engaged. In no, mm-hmm. no, no um, expectations. No, you know, my brother's lived in Fort Collins now for, I don't know, 12 years maybe, you know. And even him, just life has changed, right? Like he had a, they have a young child. So they have three kids now. And my brother's seven years older than me. And two years ago, he had a kid. His other kids are, you know, driving, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I think that through, but you throw some environmental things that happened on the pooter, you know, a couple of wild, a couple of seasons of really bad wildfires that took out all the filtration systems. So now every time it rains, like it just, the pooter silts out and it's taken, it's going to take years for, um, for that habitat to revitalize itself. And it, if it, you know, if it's sagebrush or bitter brush, someone's going to have to go plant it. But anyways, so the river doesn't fish as well as it used to. When he first lived there, you got an hour after work or the summer, you got three hours before it gets dark, man. You could, my brother's a chef. So, you know, he could bounce before shift or after shift and go jump on the river and catch good fish in town. You can't do that anymore. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't fish like that. But man, I couldn't. Who knows the last time my brother went fishing? Do you have any time on the Poudre River, Taylor? Limited. And I went whitewater rafting there once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. I like that river. I you used ever to been live in that cannon. Yeah, That's yeah, a, a couple times. You want to talk about a uh, adrenaline rush? Oh yeah. So that was the. I, I think I have officially retired from that. I would like to listen that on the air here. <laughs> I, I will for give public you, record. Yeah, for public record, <laughs> I was a whitewater rafting guide my first year as a fly fishing guide, because fly fishing guides in destination towns, it's like a hierarchy, right? And so if you're the new guy, you're at the bottom of the... So it's going to take, however, you know, I think we had 45 guides. So there had to be 44 trips that day before I was going to get a trip. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm not great at math, but I knew that wasn't going to be a great way to make a living. And so I was like, well, the company that I worked for also did whitewater raft trips. And I said, well, I'll just get certified for that at the same time and I'll do double duty. And then worst case scenario, if I have to, I'll work in the fly shop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, dude, it was a really high water year. And so we did two, two, um, the Lake Fork of the Gunnison. We went and did that one day preseason. So super high runoff and there's a waterfall at the end. It's called last chance. And there's these two, they call them um, the goalposts. There's these two big rocks. You hit them sideways, game over. Like, you're flipping for sure over the waterfall. It's going to be sketchy. And uh, so my boat runs through it. We make it. No biggie. And uh, I get put on safety. So I'm up on another rock with throw ropes watching all the rest of the boats come through. And the last boat to come through, it was a heavy load. It was like eight people. And had two people on the back, both of them guides. And they both kind of got nervous, I guess. And anyways, they end up turning their boat sideways. They went over the waterfall sideways. Mm. And uh, That's not good. No, they dump trucked. Just comp- like everyone gone. Like yard sale. Well, this hole is 40 feet deep at the bottom of this uh, last chance waterfall. And How tall, tall are the falls? 
I want to say that one's like 12. Okay. Enough to really put you down there. Yeah, you're vertical. Like, yeah, you're you're true vertical when yeah. you come off the edge, right? Mm-hmm. And you got time uh, to think about it before you hit yeah, the water. Dude. <laughs> yeah. If and, you can acknowledge, oh no, I'm falling, <laughs> and have time to yet again say, we're still falling. <laughs> yeah. If you can say this is bad, this is real bad. Yeah. And I'd have to, you know, look. You know, our minds can do wonderful jobs of exaggerating memories, right? But like, um. Long and short of it is one of the dudes on the back, he had just had a kid, and his wife said, you can come guide for a cu- for two months, you know, and then I want you to come back. Well, he got stuck in that hole, that recirculating hole, and the other guide had climbed, because they train you, you got to get the boat out in case there's someone in the hole. And so they would train us guides to get on top of the boat if you and then get it flipped back over and then start picking up your people if you flip so he gets on top of the boat and the boat starts getting sucked back into this hole and at the bottom of this hole is a boulder about the size of a Volkswagen bus and he starts getting sucked back into the hole and he just tripped out and he jumps off and the boat gets sucked back in well he didn't know that the other guide was in that hole still and he just kept getting recirculated and he couldn't get out because the boat was stuck in the hole. And so he said every time he came up, he would just hit the bottom of the boat. Spoiler alert, he did, the guy did live. But so a safety kayaker had to come in, attach himself to the boat with all of the suction and pressure on the boat, had to paddle, try to paddle the boat out from the hole, which he was able to do. The guy comes up. Me and another guy hit the guy with throw ropes that he, thank God, he grabbed onto. And then we get him out, and on the way home, he quit. He went home that day. I would like to reiterate that I have retired from whitewater <laughs> yeah. rafting. Like, and that was so not sketchy. Not something I want to deal like, with. It was so unbelievably sketchy to be a part of. And then my, my last trip on the Arkansas, the day before, three people had died. And while we're on the river... They shut it down because it was too high. And our trip lead had said, hey, before we get to the the section where the people had died the day before, we're going to give everyone an option to get out if they want. Ugh. And we're like, well, what if people don't, only half the people want to get out? They're like, well, you're just going to run it. And that's what happened to my boat. Everyone got out but two people. So you had to run it with three people in the boat? Yeah. <laughs> Is that worse? We made it. Yeah. We didn't flip. But in, in terms of like weight distribution, in terms of propulsion ability, all so of that. So the question becomes, can you have enough speed to yeah. overcome the rapid, right? Like, because if you stall out, it's going to take you, mm-hmm. right? It's going to flip you. So if you can keep everyone just full gas, you know, and there are people who know what they're doing and you get the boat weight and the boat right and you play that game. You can do it, but... You can do it, for sure. Um, and we did, but I looked them all dead in the face before we jumped into this rapid and I was like, listen, you're not swimming this thing. If we flip, you have to flip over on your stomach and you have to swim to the shore like your life depends on it. Because literally it does. If you Because this section, you can't get out of. That's why people were dying in it. No, because the the sides are so steep and it's such a long rapid run that there's no way to like get into an eddy. 
So you're just getting right. rocked, 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 rocked. So you got to ride it down until you can get somewhere. Which is a ways. Yeah. And as you're riding it down, try to you're get to the side. You're just getting trashed. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you don't hit a rock wrong or something. Right. Yeah. Needless to say, yeah, that I'm next retired. season. Taylor, that next season. You want to go? <laughs> yeah. You want to go, man? I was still. Uh, it's a guy who's looked at a bear from I think 15 I'm yards out, away man. or whatever. I think I'm out. Eight yards. <laughs> Eight yards. Uh, Sorry. I think I'm out. So I've I've rafted a couple of times in relatively peaceful conditions. Yeah. And even still, like just the raw potential of it. You can tell. I mean, like. Both times I've been rafting were on college recruitment trips. I used to work at a Christian school in Denver, and that was one of our shticks that we yeah, would do when we'd have big recruitment days over the summers. We In the winter, we'd take people snow tubing. In the summer, we'd take them rafting. And, I mean, I've I've pulled bodies out of rivers, you know, alive bodies, thankfully. Yeah. But, like, even in, in easy, relatively peaceful conditions, it can get sketchy really quick. It really can. And it—, it like the power of water is something I will never yeah. get over. Yeah. Um, that year, I mean, we had a guy early season, he fell out of a boat on the upper Taylor, hmm. but it was still really cold. And the shock, he had a heart attack, yeah. died you right know, there. That's what like, they say is the most dangerous part of rafting is actually heart attacks. You fall in the water, the shock. Wait, well, there was a calm part when we were whitewater rafting and it was, it was me, a family of three other like teenage kids their parents, me, my dad, basically. So six of us in the guide yeah. in the boat. And they said, hey, it's calm if anyone wants to jump in and yeah. have a swim. And I was smart enough to know, like, no, this water's free. But, of course, a couple of those kids were not. Mm-hmm. And they weren't right for the rest of the ride. Like, they mm-hmm. were they were in a lot of pain after jumping in there. Yeah. And it made me think, like, maybe I shouldn't have done this if there's a chance I could fall out of here. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but at the time I was – you know, 14, and I didn't think life mattered that much. Didn't yeah. realize how much it mattered, and now I'm the opposite of that. Flip the one and the four, I'm 41, and I am not interested in doing that anymore. I, yeah, I'm not. I like, we were at the lake this weekend, you know, just I got a st- some stand up paddle boards, and like, I wear a life jacket all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like, that experience forever changed me. Like, I'm just not willing to be around water without a life jacket on and it's not because i can't swim it's because i don't know what could or couldn't happen Mm -hmm. and that's the one place where like real quick you're dead Mm -hmm. you know who we've had on this show a number of times that we should call and bring into this conversation who do we have that has expressed a deep fear of open water uh can you remember this Someone who is not afraid of hardly anything, but is afraid of open water, right? Mm-hmm. Who was it? Skyler St. Ives. That's right. Skyler, yeah, our fishing, fishing coordinator guy. Yeah. for ODWC. He hates open water, but he loves to fish. Yeah. I don't hate it. I just respect it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's healthy. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, kind of like going back to our point of me being in Essence Park, I, I love taking pictures of the wildlife. I sure as hell ain't getting out of my car, you know, <laughs> right. when I'm 20 yards away from an elk. Yeah, I'm not trying like, to get gored. No, not at all. But you'd be amazed at the idiots that do. And they should get gored. Yeah. I know. Every time I'm in the Rocky Mountain National Park, you know, Jace Brewer always says you're playing a road game. Yep. I always root for the home team in those situations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, always root for the home team. <laughs> just guess down, what? Guess just, what? They're undefeated. They're yeah. undefeated. Just go to the Wichita Mountains. You don't even have to go to Rocky Mountain. <laughs> That's true. National Park. Them fools get out and. 
taking pictures next to Buffalo. I'm like, dude, you are going to get trucked. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we yeah. got to get a break in here. When we come back, we've got more stories from Todd's trip to Estes Park, more dialogue and conversation ahead as well. Todd, be thinking about this. I want to ask you, since you've been doing the outdoor hour in the last little over a year now, having been back to Colorado, having interacted with elk, I want to know a little bit how your perspective has changed on your encounters with the wildlife, doing the show and, and being more involved in this kind of space than you had been before. Um, we'll have that answer and more ahead inside this week's Outdoor Hour. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host, Taylor Maples, on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton, Todd Lizenby with you this week. Hey, it's getting to be that time of year where the weather's nice, everybody wants to be outdoors, everybody's trying to figure out what their fitness goals for the summer look like. Maybe you're like me and you're a few weeks, months, years behind on that summer bod. Uh, Don't give me that look. (laughs) Listen, man, (laughs) we're all there, all right? Here's what I'm, I'm a gonna... few decades behind <laughs> on the summer bot, I think. Here's what I'm going to say. Go get a Pedego e-bike. Seriously, I went out last night for my first family bike ride of the summer and had so much fun and was so uh, appalled at how out of shape I am. Um, I should have taken the, the Pedego with me. I was riding my road bike last night, and had I been on the Pedego, I could have just gotten a little bit of assist. I could have been out longer, gone further. Um, go try Pedagos, Pedago OKC on MacArthur Boulevard, just west of Lake Hefner. Go see Lance. Tell him you heard about it on the Outdoor Hour, and he'll save you 10% on any purchases you make in store. But seriously, Pedago e-bikes allow you to really control your exertion level while you're riding. They've got that uh, motorized assist. There's different levels of assist. There's different speeds. There's different models. Depending on what it is you're into, you need to go try a Pedago e-bike. Don't just take my word for it. Go for a test ride today. I promise it'll be the most fun you have all week. Pedago e-bikes here in OKC. In the first segment, we were talking a little bit about Todd's trip to Estes Park. We got into some rafting conversations, some good stories there. Todd, I wanted to ask you, and I set this up before we went to break, I know you've been to Estes Park a number of times, but I would have to imagine in the last year being a part of the Outdoor Hour, you've had maybe some shifts in your perspective as it pertains to your interactions with the outdoors. Did you feel any of that this week? Was it a different experience as a result of kind of having this outdoorsman hunter angler perspective today i've always had an appreciation for the wildlife uh and i've always had an appreciation for the aesthetic beauty of the mountains but i kept thinking about the one thing i kept coming back to was the conversations going back to just about a month ago when kurt kuklinski was in about how hard it is for these mega giant elk to just survive in the wild right i mean you see these elk, you see these bighorn sheep, and the biggest ones you see, you think to yourself, I think I have more appreci- of an appreciation of just what they've gone through, the odds they've beaten to be that big. Even in a place that is as friendly, quote-unquote friendly, to wildlife as Estes Park is, they're not being actively hunted, I get that, in the park, right? But still, just predators, everything else that could take them, you know, fending for themselves, getting the nutrition they need to survive, dealing with all the changes in weather over the years and 
you know, year in and year out and big weather changes. I just have a lot more respect. There was a moment where, and I sent you the photo, I think I showed you last week, Josh, where there was an elk that was kind of sitting down and he was just chilling. And I could tell he was a big bull elk and and I I could tell that, you know, he just kind of looked like a badass. Like there's no other way to say it. He just looked like a badass. And we pulled the car up and I rolled down the window and we got a good distance between us. And I zoomed in and I kind of got a view of him. And he looked at me and it's almost like, I had a respect, more of a respect for what he had been through uh, before the respect was only, I know this can kill me <laughs> if I get too close to it. But now it's like almost like I wanted to tip my cap, you know. I wanted to kind of give him a thumbs up. Like, you did it, man. You made it. So I would say I have more of a respect in that way. Um, and also, I think, I think, you know, Josh talks about this a lot. There is this weird kind of intersection at a place like Estes Park with, and I know we've had this conversation before, is this good or is this bad to take people and throw a town, you know, and, and disturb this area where these wildlife live. And there is always that weird kind of line that you have to tiptoe there. And I also found myself becoming more annoyed at the people who I didn't feel like were walking that line correctly hmm. than when I was a kid. So I think a lot of that's just maturity, though. That's really interesting. That's a good point because especially if you look at Estes Park as an example, you know, you're right in the middle of outside of Yellowstone National Park, maybe one of the greatest spaces in the lower 48 for wildlife and just the species that are there. Like you said, the size and the scale of some of these bull uh, elk that are there, moose, all of this kind of stuff. But then you drop in a little quaint town with saltwater taffy on every corner yeah. and drive-in movie theaters and and it is a very touristy spot you know you walk out of a store where you bought a um airbrush t-shirt and there's a 300 inch bull yeah. elk standing right there there was the a guy who was working kind of i think it was painting the side of his house and we were kind of at this stop sign and this elk was approaching from like crossing the street towards his yard and the guy got down off his ladder, picked his ladder up, and went inside. You know, like, the elk's here. It's his time now, right? Yeah. Like, he wasn't going to mess with it anymore. And I appreciated that. Like, I found myself thinking, that's cool that that guy, he's able to coexist with that big species there. So yeah. I, I find that stuff a lot cooler. I I love the idea of being able to get up and look out your window and maybe see something in the wild, quote-unquote, in the wild, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I found myself more than when I was a kid trying not to bother the wildlife as it was going through town. Not that, you know, obviously you want to get photos, but I'm like, let's keep our distance. Let's not stop. Let's, you know, let's not make a big scene. Let's not, if they looked at me, I almost wanted to go like, Hey, don't look over here and hold my hand up. Like, I'm not looking at you. You're cool. But that I just have more of an appreciation from that side of it. It's interesting that you say it that way based on the stories that Josh was telling in the first segment about rafting. I think the more encounters you have with the natural world, the more that respect grows, right? And some of it is truly like fearing for your life in a raft going through rapids or over a falls and the respect that you gain from the water and that whole experience to the respect of just looking at wildlife and understanding what all they have to go through to even exist in that state, in that area at this time, um, It really is fascinating that your education and your experience drives us to a place of awareness. And and then what do we do with that awareness, right? 
You said you found yourself trying to almost divert your gaze so that you're not impacting their natural habitat quite the same. Um, we make such an effort to go out of our way on vacation. Did you drive to Estes Park? We did, yeah. It's about a 12-hour drive, mm-hmm. right? About 11, 10 and 12, a half, 11, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Um, it, depending on how you drive, I guess. But Well, it's, it's uh, 10 <clears throat> hours going, 12 hours coming back because of the time change, basically. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we make such an effort to get there, just to go have that experience. I right? thought your yeah. question we were talking about during the break, Josh, was interesting. A hundred percent about Estes Park. Go ahead. We yeah. make that effort. Yeah, we make the effort, but why don't we make the effort at home, right? Um, why don't we take? Why? Why is a three and a half hour drive to jump on the Lower Illinois seemingly not worth it? in our minds but we'll happily load the, the you know we'll, we'll get the boarding for the dogs and yeah. we'll load up all the stuff and all the gear and and um all of that will make the trek to some distant faraway land um where we feel like there's more value for some reason which is why i always find it funny when someone goes i could live here they give it three months and on a friday night you'd be watching netflix right yeah like, for you sure. know what i mean like you wouldn't be out doing the thing yeah, yeah. we like we, i mean it, it, inevitably i think human nature at this point is to, to to take comfort is to take the easy route and eventually the the new wears off and we revert back to what's easy and comfortable um that doesn't involve taking a sacrifice of our day right i mean how i, I couldn't tell you how many times in my day if i'm like well maybe if i scrolled a little less today if i got up a little earlier if i managed my time better in general um what opportunities would present itself to me today uh, to be more engaged outdoors or to find that time to take my son uh fishing or whatever it may be you know often it's the disease of comfort uh that has taken that opportunity away from me and i think that same thing can be said about um the opportunities that exist in our backyard i mean golly Oklahoma has some really rad topography, um, and you can see a lot of different stuff if you're willing to just jump in your car and go. I think we all love a destination, too. I think that's part of it. Like You don't the feel grass like you're getting greener, away unless right? you're really getting away. You yeah. know what I mean? And then so how do we just get away? You know, I, I think I've been trying to have that conversation in myself. I think all of us have probably felt the, the pressures of inflation and the more challenging economy and, and things that it takes to survive, right? And our expendable incomes are all a little, little smaller and trips may be not as realistic here or there. And so how, how do you still um, get away without having to get away? Um, and how do we do that in a way that creates a, a memorable experience no matter what it is and i can tell you from taking my kids out yesterday i mean i went to a lake that's like 15 feet down you know that's a bit of an exaggeration but it's probably seven feet down not a lot of, of what is normally there and i loaded my kids up on a paddleboard and i paddled them across this lake to a spot where a lot of people don't go and the the amount of s- seashells and like fresh clam shells that they were just enamored by that got loaded up on that paddleboard and taken back. And to them, that was one heck of an adventure. They didn't care that the lake was down. They didn't care that, oh, golly, this fish, this pond, this lake used to fish really well and now it doesn't fish well at all. They didn't care about any of that. 
they were like, oh man, look at all these cool things. And what does this mean? And what does that mean? And, you know, going back to your conversation of when you're a kid versus now and in Estes Park, the challenge becomes how do we still view the world with a childlike wonder, but act like, act like we've been there before? Sure. Right? Like, how, how do we still rest in this and allow every moment to be inspirational without treading into the moment? And I think all of us as hunters, like the most successful hunters in the world, have figured that out. How to not how to fully understand and engage in the moment without intruding on the moment. They're just a fly on the wall. Well, and that's why you talk about it, Taylor. Your friend Jace, mm-hmm. he likes a lot of times he won't even take a shot, right? Because he just wants to be a part of feel like he's in that moment, right? Yeah. The number of photos he has sent me of like his target buck for the year on the feeder, under his stand, whatever, and he's like, man, there he is. I'm like, dude, freaking shoot. Right. <laughs> and he's right. like, not today, man, not today. I I, uh, I will say I do, kind of back to the SS Park thing real quick, I do find it a little bit, like I found myself driving between Glen Haven where my parents live in SS Park. You, you leave their cabin, no cell service, right, until you get into Estes Park. And even though it was a car ride and I'm not on my phone in the car anyway, just that thought of like, no one's going to bother me right now. And then you get into the park, no cell service. You can take photos on your phone. You can't tweet them out. You can't be on Instagram. I found myself thinking in the park when I was dealing with no cell service. At one point, I picked up the phone and I looked at it and there was no service. And I put it down and I was a little bit disappointed. Like, oh, I don't have service. And then I thought, you know what? This is great. Like, no one's going to bother me. I can just be here. I can be with nature, enjoy it. And I thought to myself, I had this, I think I might have actually said this to my girlfriend. Why don't we do this more? Just turn our phones off. Mm -hmm. You know, and I understand that there are pressures of, that's another thing. When you're not far away, people do call you and ask you to do things. Sometimes you need to be available for them. And that's tough. And technology is great. Love it. But it is so nice every once in a while to just go, I'm out for a minute. Yeah, I, I struggle with that tremendously as a husband and a father. It is really hard for me to justify not being available. Yeah. My mind immediately goes to what if something happens? Sure. And I, when there wasn't technology that kept you connected, it was I think probably easier to justify that in some capacity, right? Well, I joke with my kids. It just like, is what it is, right? Yeah, but I, now it's not, it is what it is. I joke with my kid who's 17. Like, I go, hey, text me when you get there. You know, I couldn't do that with my dad. Right. Right. It's so, it's so weird to think that how differently we see the world now that that is all so normal. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't, this, I was thinking about this yesterday on Memorial Day. I needed cash for something. Couldn't imagine not being able to get cash on a, Holiday. I can just go to the ATM now. Right. In fact, the first ATM I went to was down, didn't have cash in it, and I was mad. Right. And I was I was like, man, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, probably more than that actually now, 30 oh, years yeah. ago. 30, 40 probably. You, if the bank wasn't open, you couldn't get cash. You know, so it's amazing the things we take for granted. And I do. it's cool having been to Estes Park as a kid, 
you know, as a young adult, and then it had been about a decade since I'd been there. Going back now as a more mature adult, how much differently I look at it every time. You know, so. I got a buddy, uh, Grayson, who's been on this show before. That dude fishes every day. And whether it's like Hefner or like there, the his stoke is not affected by location. Hmm. It's just not. It's envious. I'm envious of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because like, I definitely am. The kill text, you know, he texted a couple of days ago, like, dude, I whacked him on Hefner today. Like, dude, it was freaking <laughs> awesome. And like, there's a part of my brain that was like, man, why are you on Hefner? Speaking you know of, what I'm saying, like, in that sucks. That that's where my brain yeah. went. Yeah. Speaking of fishing, did you guys see the story about the lake trout caught in Colorado? Yeah. We need to talk about that on the other side. Let's do that when we come back. Hey, if you're in the market for a new hunting hide, check out okiehides.com. Okie hides are made right here in Oklahoma City. They are overbuilt, overprepared, overmanufactured, overthought, over everything. These are just the best hunting hides on the market, and they're made right here in Oklahoma City. 8-foot platforms, 12-foot platforms, 26-gauge galvanized sheeting, uh, waterproof rivets, like you name it. They've thought of everything. They've literally fine-tuned where the hooks need to be for your camera gear, the shelves, all of that kind of stuff, marine-grade carpeting, blackout curtains, no squeak doors and windows. It's just an unbelievable product. If you've never hunted out of an oaky hide, go check them out today. Go down and see where they're manufactured. Talk to Roy, talk to Rivers, talk to the whole crew down there. You can literally watch them build these things from scratch right here in Oklahoma City, and you will be just as enamored with them as I am. Okiehides.com is the place to go to learn more. We'll be back on the other side after this. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour final segment. You know, Josh, you really got my wheels turning talking about why don't we make an effort to do this more. You know what one of my most simple pleasures in the outdoors used to be? And it was going and sitting with my GoPro on a tripod, a couple of extra batteries, and sneaking in a sunset time lapse just for myself. I enjoyed just the moment of being out there, watching the colors change, the clouds roll across. You know, and yes, I've been fortunate to live in some really cool places. I've got great time lapses over Garden of the Gods, and I've got time lapses over the great sand dunes in Alamosa, and I've got time lapses over the Ravenel Junior Bridge in Charleston, South Carolina. I've got some really cool things, but it wasn't ever about the scenery as much as it was the moment of spending an hour and a half by myself in solitude, just enjoying God's creation around me. And I've quit doing it, yes, because I get busy, but also because I think, in a, and really to dive deep into this here, there is such a immediacy with content today online and social media that it's almost to me like if I'm not creating content that's worth publishing, it's not worth being out there for in the first place. Do you feel that way? I, I feel the threat of that for sure. You're better at fighting it maybe than I am. Um, I, I just, if I like it, cool, share it. Yeah. You know, if I don't, whatever. Um, I, I've, I heard this or I saw it within the last month and I'm sure we've all heard something along these lines, but it was 
it said, judge yourself on where you were yesterday, not on where they are today. And I think if we apply that to outdoor pursuits in general or life in general, we become a lot happier um, when we stop looking at unrealistic, altered reality. You know, I've got a friend who uh, has a show coming out on HGTV, actually premieres this Sunday. And his eyes were so unbelievably opened but through this process of how fake and staged social media is that like his perception of it is just of reality yeah reality uh, tv is yeah his stage oh too. yeah like yeah. crazy right yeah. and so you know he's i think in some capacity not necessarily struggling with it but realizing that like these are curated moments mm-hmm. that are going through editing that are planned on when they're going to be released on people's social media feeds yep. and scheduled you know, even yeah, yeah like literally scheduled mm-hmm. right and then we get mad that we can't recreate them in reality right right when, when they're it's not impossible to recreate yeah, them in reality when they yeah, were agreed they were pre-created in the first place there was strategy it, that went behind it i thought to, it was really cool for content for ou softball to pre-create being down seven four <laughs> yeah in the seventh inning on saturday yeah. you know somebody asked me this week if that was intentional somebody <laughs> I mean, legitimately said was that for the drama do you think yeah i wouldn't put it past them but i don't think that's exactly how <laughs> taylor and i works. Were, well and that was dude I want this is an outdoor show, so I won't get too far into this. But I will. I do want to get on the soapbox for one second. I was disappointed in OU softball fans when things got rough in that game. You could hear a pin drop. There were thirty Clemson fans in the ballpark, and, and they, they were carried the momentum. I, well, I think it was a lot of it just didn't know what to do because it doesn't happen very often. You know what it reminded me of? It was rough. You know the movie Miracle. Yeah. When yeah. Team USA yeah. is leading at the end, yeah. and the other team, the Russians, don't know to pull their goalie, and Herb Brooks is like, they don't know what to do. Like yeah. it felt like that in the ballpark for a few innings. I looked at uh, some fans next to me. Uh, the wife of one of the field crew what was sitting in front of me, and I leaned over and I said, "If we lose this game, I'm never." The last playoff game that I went to, postseason game I went to in person of OU sports was the Rose Bowl. Mm. And I was like... Well, you've seen some good, I've, some exciting I've never endings. allowed to go yeah. to another postseason sporting event ever. For the Bro record, you. he did not mention this before he asked for tickets. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not. No, we... we uh, but, I, I, yeah, I was uh, disappointed because that's a moment... That's the wonderful thing about sports, right? Like... That team, they never, they always thought they could do it. Mm-hmm. They had never, there wasn't, you couldn't feel a sense of pressure from them, but golly, the fans were sure putting it on them. Mm-hmm. Like, are we really going to lose this game today? And it just goes to show you how different we are from them, yeah. right? Like, whether it is something that has been learned in the program, whether the coaching staff, Patty Gasso, all the way down through, has figured this out and instilled it in their athletes. Or if it's just something, I mean, divine, like call it whatever you want. But we as the 2,000, 2,100 people that were in the ballpark that day were acting in a very natural way. There's something unnatural about how they respond in those moments. And keep doing it. And continue to Mm. do it. But I will say that mindset is the same mindset that will make you a great hunter or a great outdoorsman. Because... 
the cards are stacked against you. Every single time you go out, so many things you can't control. Yeah. Bad things happen. Yeah. Right? yeah. But if you can, You got to learn how to overcome them. Yeah. Like a boat coming back over your body and you getting sucked in a hole, right? On a rafting trip or what, whatever it may be, or that buck not showing up that you keep seeing and keep seeing. But if you keep showing up, if you keep believing, if you have that self-confidence that my moment will come and when the moment comes, I will succeed. The outdoors will forever and always change your life. And it takes not only an extreme amount of confidence, but of discipline. Unbelievable. How do you get up in the middle of the night to go sit for the fifth day straight when you're pretty confident that buck's not going to show up? Yeah, or you haven't seen turkeys at all, but by golly, this is the only place you can go to hunt turkeys and you're going to do it anyways. Yeah. Or, you know, you... You haven't caught a fish in whoever knows how long, you know. Why and, you got to bring me into this? <laughs> you know? Well, these two fellas in Colorado caught some fish. Yeah, let's Did you see this story? It. I have Josh? not, okay. no. So this comes to us from Gunnison, Colorado. He lived very close the to there. The Blue Mesa Reservoir, Been which I'm there, sure you are there. very familiar yeah. with. Scott Inlow said he'd always hoped to catch a 50-pound lake trout. Uh, excuse me? Uh, 35, he, goal, said he's caught, he said he's caught some 30s, some 35s, and even some 40s. The state record, 50.5 pounds okay. caught in Lake or Blue Mesa yep, Reservoir. Yep. Um, he and his son were fishing, and they caught a fish that he claims weighed 73.29 <clears throat> pounds. Is that the video? I saw a video of a guy, and they're measuring it in the boat. Yes. Okay. Have you seen the photo of the fish? I no, I've only I only saw the social video. They released it, didn't they? Yes. Now here's where the rub comes in. Yes. That's a giant fish. Unbelievably right? I mean, gigantic. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's like you look at the photo and I go, that's plausible when you Is see the photo. Is that the video where the guys saying it was 47 or something on the the tail length? And I'm like, you yes. measure differently than I do? I think so, yeah. Okay, they thought it was about four feet long. Because it definitely was not 47. Like, he was pushing, you know. But, but so here's the thing. Um, he said that they've caught a bunch of big lake trout in the Blue Mesa Reservoir. Like like I said, yeah. it holds the state record. It's probably where you can find the biggest lake trout. They catch this fish. They weigh it at 73.29. He thinks, holy cow, we got a state record. They video it all. Yep. And... Then they get back in and come to find out you can't have any record unless it's weighed on land. Yep. Now, not only would this have been a Colorado state record, the world record for lake trout is 72 pounds. So So this may have been a world record fish. No, it is a world record fish, and he should count it as a world record fish. And it's like Dan, my buddy Dan, he's going for the—he wants to catch the world record alligator gar. Okay, on a fly right. rod. Yeah, we've had him in, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And he said last week, he goes, I don't care if it's quote-unquote official. Right. I just care that the guy who currently has it knows I did better than him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, well, think, and, and and I think that that's exactly how this guy should feel about this. <laughs> and just to kind of tie it into all that we've talked about today, this is a guy from Colorado who was out fishing on a local reservoir yep. with his son, yep. experiencing the outdoors, who now, and probably until their dying day, can claim that they've caught the world record yeah. lake trout. And that, I mean, listen, I mean, Colorado is beautiful, but there's nothing to like necessarily write home about that reservoir. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, like it's, right. Considering everything else in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, like you could easily talk yourself out of not doing that. Yeah. Right? 
but they didn't, and they have a, memories for a lifetime. And I would say that guy has a world record. And I would also say that they need to get over that. Because if you go after IFGA saltwater records, you don't have to. You have to have photo and video. You have to have an IFGA certified bump board and measuring tool. And your scale has to be certified. But There's you, the 47 inches, yeah. by the way. You see that, Taylor? Little stretch on that. Yeah. His, that, fingers, his fingers covering it. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the photo. But IFGA got rid of that rule. So what happens, you have to have photographic evidence. You have to send, the, you know, you have to be in the picture. There's all these things that qualify it. And then you have to send them your scale post trip or it had to have been certified by them within a certain period of time like they calibrate to make sure your scale's not off yeah 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 Yeah. well i was one go ahead and then and then you're good and you can release the fish and that's how it should be that that fish should go live another day i just hope they didn't put steel weights down the fish like the guys in uh listen no i'm kidding i'm kidding if they did the fish swam away so the fish was okay and that's how it's supposed to be right if that's how you want to do yeah, it, yeah, 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 and yeah. if and if you want to keep it, cool. You should, and especially you if should he and his son too. fish there all the time, let them go back in. Yeah, I mean, if they 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 think of that as theirs, right? It's like yeah. my son and any lake you take him to. Take take me to my lake, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was a pretty cool story though, and uh, though it's not official, it looks it like they did catch the it world record lake trout. Sir, if you're listening. Count it. Count it. <laughs> you can put it on the board. That's right. Yes. Sounds like a story you hear at J.D. Adams, doesn't it? That's right. Hey, how are things over at J.D. Adams? Man, rocking and rolling. It's full summertime. People are traveling to, you know, the Rockies and going after trout, and people are catching bass left and right, and smallies are starting to run, and people are getting fired up for stripers to start moving in the rivers. And I man, sent you that picture of a striper go. from uh, – beaver lake this weekend that i didn't look mine. at that yet i think oh I, yeah, yeah i showed yeah, you that yeah, the yeah, other yeah. day yeah 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 you did yes good good fish yeah it yeah. was a good one yeah get over to jd adams and company if you haven't been in there and you know what i love of all of the places we talk about on the show and that i've built relationships and really truly enjoy getting to discuss i probably have more people to walk that tell me at least that they've gone into jd adams and company of all of them um, and you guys I just have such a, a welcoming atmosphere. It's a cool place to go hang out, good vibes. Um, if you've not been in J.D. Adams & Company, go check them out. They are on the uh, northwest corner of 122nd and North May Avenue here in Oklahoma City. If you want to just plug it in, the address is 12325 North May Avenue. Look for the sign on the side of the building that says Fly Shop. Um you're going to have a good time. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to hear some great stories, tall tales, check out some soft goods, all of that, and just get outfitted to get out there on the water this summer. Guys, thanks for joining us this week inside the Outdoor Hour. If you've got a story to tell or a lesson learned, give me a shout. We'd love to have you on the show. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at T underscore Maples. You can follow the show page at Outdoor underscore Hour on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Josh is on Instagram at against underscore current, or you can find Todd at Todd on Franchise on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for joining us this week inside the Outdoor Hour. That's going to do it. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.